Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in the Word, and we're so grateful we have the freedom to be here, to gather, to have our Bibles on our laps, Lord. We thank you for the women that come and give up their morning to be here, to worship you, and to hear the Word, and to share that Word with others in their small groups. So now, Lord, I ask you to give me the gift of teaching, and you just help us through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our topic today is be ready. So you can turn, our text is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. So we have to be ready for many things. We had a family picture taken this weekend, and we all had to be ready. And so it took planning, it took putting it on the calendar, it took them all getting their outfits so we could kind of coordinate and look like we belong together. And so it took preparation to make it happen. Um, our grandson who lives with us, we are trying to teach him to get ready for school in the morning. And it's like... I don't know if he thinks someone's going to dress him or what. So it's like these are things you need to do to get ready to get out the door at a certain time. And so everything takes time and planning to get ready. Uh, Last week I was at our son's. They have five boys. She asked me to come early at 7 o'clock in the morning to get the two older boys to school because our son was working an extra shift as a policeman. So he wasn't there and five kids and all that stuff. So I come in at 7 a.m., and I knock on the door and the boys, the two older boys answer and their hair's all combed, their backpacks are on and they're all dressed and everything's quiet. And I'm like, where's your mother? They're like, she's sleeping. I'm like, really? You guys got ready all by yourself? And they're like, yeah. So, I mean, they, that was awesome. It's not always that perfect over there, but <laughs> it was so cool that they were ready. So we have to do things to get ready or we're not ready. So what are the things the Lord through Peter is telling us to be ready for in our text today? So as we look at the verses that we will discuss today, we can look back at verse 8. So as you look back in verse 8 in 1 Peter 3, you see he's speaking to to all of us because he says, finally, all of you. So all he spoke to previously in this letter, he is continuing to speak to now, to the sojourners, to the pilgrims, to the elect, to the living stones, to the wives, to the husbands, etc. So we're going to take this in sections. This is a more difficult study as we go verse by verse, as there are a lot of topics within this text, and it's been a struggle for me because there's so much to get in. So we'll see. If you are a note taker, I'm going to be giving a lot of verses so you can look at them later. Since there's so much to cover, I won't be able to read every verse. So 1 Peter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? So we see this verse begins with and. The word and holds a story or thought together. So we can look back to verse 12 where the thought started and we have our answer. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Lord's eyes are on us. So if you have received Christ as your savior, you are the righteous. He does not take his eyes off of you. His ears are open to your prayers. So truly who can harm us? Yes, people go through persecution, torture, 
death, but eternally no one can take our salvation from us. We know where we are going and we need not fear. We can trust him. Matthew ten twenty eight says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So back to 1 Peter 3.14 as we continue. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And in the King James, that word blessed is happy. And Matthew 5.11 through 12 says, Blessed, so or happy are you, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think one of the things that our text is telling us we need to be ready for is some some kind of persecution. And we have had very little in comparison to much of the world, but we know that that can be changing rapidly. And next is our theme verse for today, which clearly spells out what we are to be ready for. So I want to camp here a little longer in verse um, 15 of 1 Peter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this is definitely a power packed verse. So first let's look at the word sanctify here. There are three definitions of this word as you look at its root in the text. The first is to render or acknowledge or hallow or respect. The second is to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. And the third is to purify. So I'm going to go over those again as we go through talking about each of these points, practically speaking. So first, we're to acknowledge the Lord and hallow him always, always revere him, respect him. And we have been learning in Peter many of the ways we can respect the Lord in how I act, how I react how I talk, how I submit to authority, um, in the decisions that I make, in how I respect my husband, treat others, etc. And this all shows practical respect for the Lord. And it's setting him apart in our daily lives. And that's by how we act. Secondly, we are to separate from profane things, meaning we are to separate from sin. So we are to evaluate our lives to what that means for each one of us individually. I had a young mom share with me last week that she was struggling with her words towards her children. She was using profane words, you know, she, the, the bad words were coming out as she gets frustrated with them. Um, she was sharing because she wanted that accountability. And so to separate from those profane things, you need to get a Bible verse, you need to get accountability, and you need to work on it. So is it your tongue? Are you sanctifying the Lord God in your heart with your speech? Um, is it what you're viewing on your phone? And even women are viewing things they should not on their phone. They are not separating from sin, from those profane things. Is it who you hang with and the activities you participate in? Um, I have a little gal that I try to mentor. She's really not living for Jesus right now. And um, I saw what she did one weekend, and I kind of 
talked to her and I said, hey, would you would you like some accountability with that? Would you like some input? Um, just let me know. Well, she didn't answer me. So I know the answer was no. So, <laughs> but we, if we want to live for the Lord, we can ask for that accountability from one another if you are struggling with something. So do that. Um, thirdly, we are to purify ourselves, which we do by the word of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So we should get a good washing of the word daily. So are you in the word of God on a regular basis? These are all practical ways to sanctify the Lord in your heart. So these things can prepare our hearts and make us ready. We cannot be ready to give a defense to everyone for the reason for the hope that is in us without preparation. So we must be ready. Sanctifying our heart is one. One way that we can be ready. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to clarify, we are only sanctified by the finished work of Christ in our lives. Once we receive him, we are sanctified, and it is only it is the only way we will be preserved blameless at his coming. So it's not a work of ours, that sanctification. But the sanctification process is lifelong, which we just discussed, and it requires action on our part. We are not just to look the part. We are actually to be the part, to be holy. We should be different. We are to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the hope that is within us. And that hope is an expectation of good. So we have an expectation of good. This verse is assuming we will be asked. People watch and they wonder why you are calm, why you're not freaked out, why you're able to deal with your depression, why you're able to navigate through a trial. We are to give that answer with meekness and fear. And that means with humility and respect. No one cares for someone who is cocky and a know-it-all. And I have a, a friend who's really strong in the Lord, and he's he's just cocky about, you know, what he believes, and he's just very cocky about it. And it's just hard because I don't think you win people that way by basically saying, I'm right and you're wrong and you're an idiot, because that's kind of how it comes across. That's not where we're supposed to be as Christians. Second Timothy 2 4 says, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Titus 2 3, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. James 3.17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So in this climate of politics, I personally do not think making fun of things wins people to the Lord. And so we just got to be careful with our speech. We really need to be in God's word if we want to be ready to give a defense. And the root of this word defense in this verse is apologia, where we get our word apologetics from, meaning reasoned statement or argument. So apologia implies not admission or of guilt or regret, but a desire to make clear the grounds for some course, belief, or position. So we need to be in the word of God. 
if we want to be able to make clear the grounds on what we believe. Because if we don't have the word of God, we really don't have anything. We need to do extra studies, and mostly we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us in our talking and sharing with others. We are to do it all in love, and it's his kindness that brings people to repentance, not arguments. Arguments are not fruitful, love is. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, and all the other attributes flow from that, as Tommy taught us last time. And if you didn't hear it, you can go online and listen to that. And if we have not first sanctified the Lord God in our hearts, it truly is meaningless, because we are not allowing the truth to change us first and foremost, because others watch our walk. Believe me, they're watching. And that takes us to our next verses, First Peter 3, 16 and 17. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So the conscience is the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad. Prompting to do the former, so prompting us to do the good, and shun the latter, the bad. Commending one, so we should be commending the good, and condemning the other, the bad. The conscience is that internal sense a person has when they're about to do something wrong. It's a warning signal that there is danger ahead. For the unbeliever, and the unbeliever does have a conscience, it's that internal law that's written on every man's heart. Romans two fourteen through 15 says, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so God puts it in our heart. We know right from wrong. For the believer, it's the Holy Spirit guiding us. Through this life, the Holy Spirit predominantly guides us through the Word of God. I read that conscience is a safe guide only when the Word of God is the teacher. And we know that unbelievers can, you know, they can say, oh, they can shun that conscience. But if we have the Holy Spirit, we get that conviction. And so the Holy Spirit is what drives us to do the right thing. And as you look in the word, there's a lot of stuff about the conscience. And I'm just going to give you a couple things and verses, but we're not going to go into it because that's a whole other topic. But there's a defiled conscience in Titus 1.15. There's a seared conscience in 1 Timothy 4.2. An evil conscience in Hebrews 10.22. A strong and pure conscience in Acts 24.16. And a weak conscience in 1 Corinthians 8. So our conscience should be our safe guide because we are so immersed in the word of God that we know good from evil immediately. So may we be walking so closely to the Lord that when we are reviled, others may be ashamed because truly we are doing what is right. And if we do wrong and we pay the price, so be it. I mean, that's what we should expect, but it's not a good witness, obviously. 
But if we do good and suffer for it, happy are we. We are to be happy. So this next verse is the gospel in one line. First Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So here we have the basic doctrine of the Christian faith. Jesus was crucified once for the forgiveness of sins of all humanity from the cross on. And at that point, anyone who would look to the Heavenly Father through the sacrifice of Jesus would be able to have an intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus doesn't suffer continually or he's not re-sacrificed. No, his sacrifice is once and for all. And who is talking in our text? Obviously, it's Peter. And what nationality is Peter? Jewish. So Jewish Think of this revelation in the mind and heart of Peter. Didn't the Jewish people need to offer sacrifices continually to atone for their sins? Yes, every year, year after year, decade after decade, as long as there was a tabernacle or temple, they were required to offer sacrifices to atone for their sins. So this is a wonderful and beautiful thing that Peter realizes in the new living translation hebrews 9 24 to 28 just backs this up for christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands which was only a copy of the true one in heaven he entered into heaven itself to appear now before god on our behalf and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So we can clearly see that this is a one-time sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that allows anyone to enter into heaven for all eternity. All right, now 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, here are some very interesting verses that have caused some controversy over the years. And we, who are these beings that are in this prison? Are they humans or are they angels? So there are two stances taken on these verses. And our homework stated that the most widely taught view taken by Calvary pastors was that these beings were angels. However... I went over this with my husband a lot. I felt like I was cheating on a test because I'm like, I can't do this on my own. I don't get this. So there's a lot here. But this statement is up for debate as the local Calvary pastors here, at least, that my husband meets with do not hold to this view that was taught in your book. So I'm going to quickly give you the two stances or viewpoints so you can see both of them. So the first view is the one that was given in your homework. Some people believe that those who are being referenced to in this prison setting are fallen angels. They teach that angelic beings are the sons of God referenced to in Genesis 6, 
2 and 4. In Genesis, those verses are right before the introduction of Noah and the worldwide flood that pursued. They also believe that these are fallen angels only because the same phrase is used in Job 1 verse 6 and Job 2 1, where the sons of God came before the Lord in heaven. What is taught is that these fallen angels had physical relations with earthly women and produced the giants that were in the land referenced in Genesis 6 4. That is another reason they believe there was needed to be a global flood to eliminate the race that had become polluted by these fallen angels. Some of these same teachers believe that in the last days or more, more likely during the great tribulation, that there will be a reoccurrence of this situation and that fallen angels will come again upon the earth and have sexual relations with women. So that's one side of the story. Now, the other side of the story, which is the one that my husband holds to, but it like this is not a salvation issue so that's the one thing to remember there's two sides to the coin and we'll get that to you first so the other side of the story is that there are angels in this prison also known as Hades Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2 4 as well as humans who were of the line of Seth Adam and Eve's third son Seth is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, which would cause us to say that he is in the godly line or part of the sons of God referenced to in the same place in Genesis. The godly line of Seth mixed with the ungodly line of Cain. And this is just one reason why it is believed that Peter is addressing humans as well as fallen angels in the prison referenced. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus had this to say about the angels and our bodies after we die Matthew twenty-two, twenty-nine 29 through 30 you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like the angels of God in heaven so what is the main reason for marriage is procreation so we're not going to procreate in heaven because we're going to be as the angels when the reference would be that they do not procreate. So Genesis one twenty eight. then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multi- multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And this is obviously called the human race. So if there was and could possibly be angels procreating with humans, which this view that I'm speaking of now does not hold to, we would now have a new species or race of humans. And this race could not be covered by the blood of Jesus for salvation is only for humans. Angels have never had an option for salvation. Some of them rebelled and some of them did not as they were created for heaven. And when some rebelled, they were removed from heaven. So Pastor Chuck Smith, who is the founder of Calvary Chapel, states this in his commentary, and this is what I'm going to leave you with. There are difficulties with this verse if you try to make it the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. There are also difficulties if you try to make it angels intermarrying with man. It is not something to divide over. He says he files it away under waiting for more information. So Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so if we are ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us, this will not be something you will probably bring up to witness to somebody. 
It's kind of like the flat earth. You know, it really does not draw anyone into salvation. It's probably going to push them away and they're going to think you're just crazy. So we need the clear gospel message. We need to sanctify God in our hearts. Much more important than dividing over something that is not clear. We leave the secret things to the Lord. So now in that same verse, it's told the Lord descended to preach to these spirits. So Matthew twelve forty says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So where did he descend to? Luke sixteen ten. Jesus tells us that it's called Abraham's bosom. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And the rich man went to Hades. There was a great gulf between this place, Abraham's bosom, and Hades. But if you remember in the text, they could see each other. And he knew he would that one was on each side. So... Hades is where unbelievers went, and both sides could hear the proclamation from the Lord in this verse that we're studying in 1 Peter. Now, we know from the scriptures that Jesus had to be the first fruits from the grave, meaning he needed to raise first. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty through 22 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So Jesus went and preached to all of those who were in the grave, but not for salvation, but for confirmation. He confirmed to those who believed in the promises of God found in the Old Testament, those who were in Abraham's bosom. They allowed God to deal with their sins and they were looking forward to having eternal life with the heavenly father via the coming Messiah. Those who are already in hell or Hades didn't believe in the promises of God, but they were now seeing the Messiah, Jesus. They didn't have a second chance for salvation, but they did hear the promises of God fulfilled. But those who were with Abraham were brought forth after the resurrection. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two to 53. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and the And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So these verses in Peter discuss baptism as well. There's so many topics in this text. So bear with me. We're almost through. Um, So we're going to read them again, adding verse 21 so we can get the context. So 1 Peter 3, 19 to 21. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering and divine long suffering is a whole nother topic that I would love to go into because it's so amazing that God is so long suffering. So just keep that in mind that he is very long suffering with your loved ones. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through 
through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, were they saved by the water or by the ark that was in the water? So Peter says, even so, baptism saves us. But in the same verse, Peter was careful to point out that it isn't the actual baptism of water that saves us, but the spiritual principle behind the immersion in water. What really saves us is the answer of a good conscience toward God, a conscience made good through the completed work of Jesus on the cross. So it isn't the physical ritual because then it would become a work. And we know clearly we are not saved by any type of work. And you can look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 for that. So water baptism is always a matter of the heart. Water baptism is only a symbol of the work of the Spirit that has transpired already within my heart. So as I go down into the water... It's as if I'm being buried, and as I come up out of the water, it's that new life in the spirit. It's a representation, and it becomes a beautiful symbol of an inward work that has taken place in my heart. As the floodwaters cleanse the earth, so baptism is an antitype or symbol that separates us from the wickedness in the world today. But if it has not happened in my heart... It cannot happen by the ritual. Again, the ritual itself cannot save anyone. Our last verse, 1 Peter 3, 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So here's a great ending to our study. All are subject under the authority of Jesus Christ. So may we bow our hearts to him and set him apart and sanctify him in our daily lives, and always be ready to tell others about the hope that is within us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word. We know it was a lot, but we just pray as we go into our small groups that we just uh, continue to just glean from one another, and most importantly, take the verses that we can practically apply to our lives, not getting caught up in the things that we don't understand, but the things that we do understand. You want us, Lord, to be set apart for you. You want us to sanctify ourselves before you and live a life where people will ask for the hope that is within us. So help us to be ready for that. In Jesus' name, amen.